Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to share the stories of everyday people doing remarkable things in communities of color, all while sipping on a glass of wine. In today's episode, I had the chance to speak with Yvette Bowden. Yvette is an author and freelance writer and the founder of the Awakened Woman blog, a blog that is meant to inspire, encourage, and empower women to seek evolution and personal growth during life's journey. Her book, A Journey to Finding the Best Self, was released in July 2019 by independent publisher Black Rose Writing. Beyond her blog, Yvette has contributed to multiple high-profile websites such as Be Latina, Thrive Global, Smart Co-Parent, and Divorce Hub. Her writing reflects real life as she uses her journey to discuss various topics such as Latino culture, love, divorce, co-parenting, motherhood, abuse, and relationships. She is as passionate about her message as she is about her purpose, sharing stories to engage women, helping them feel less alone and guide them through their own process of becoming who they are meant to be. So grab your glass of wine and join us for the cheese meal. people that we find through social media right and right now Absolutely. it's even more so having these thing that we're in right now with all of the coronavirus I mean we would have to do this either way because you're in New York and I'm in yes. California we are truly you know doing this whole cross-country thing which is already amazing but just with all everything else that's been going on just being able to see somebody when we're kind of in our own little worlds right now, makes everything a bit nicer. Absolutely. Um, I had mentioned to my daughter today, I, as a writer, I like my alone time. I enjoy it, but I choose the moments that I want to be alone. And now this social isolation forces that just to, for you to isolate yourself. And it's, it's hard when you're forced to do it. I, that's exactly this. I was saying this morning, like it's one thing I'm an extroverted extrovert. So I get my energy from other people and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And it's not even so much everything. It's just not having anybody around. Right. So at least we can go on walks. At least you can still see people. Me and a friend are going to meet up to go for a walk later. We're a few blocks away, but that is not what we're here to talk about. We're not here to talk about, coronavirus what we are here to talk about is all of the amazing things that you are doing as like you said you're a writer you have a book um, but I really want to hear kind of how that all started you are a Dominicana born in New York what part of New York were you born in Manhattan born and raised oh <laughs> you are true like you are like true true New York Manhattan Hard, um, hardcore. <laughs> so tell me what, tell me about growing up as 
a Dominicana in New York City? Like, what is that about? Because nobody else, I'm, first of all, I can never say what it's like to grow up in New York City. I grew up in San Diego, total, wow. total opposite. That's awesome, though, by the water. <laughs> so what was um, it like growing up as a Dominicana in New York City? Well, my parents came in the 70s, so things were completely different. Wait, I totally wrecked us right now. And this will stay in the podcast because I totally messed up because before, normally before we get to the chisme, we get to the wine. And with all this, Uh, look at this coronavirus (laughs) stuff got me all messed up. So before we get too much into the chisme, we're going to get to the wine. So what I'm drinking is a Kendall Jackson Vintners Reserve Chardonnay because you're a white wine person. This is what you suggested. And I know you weren't able to get your hands on any. So what are you drinking today, Vet? So I'm actually having a California wine. <laughs> um, it's a Harkin and it's barrel fermented Chardonnay. And it's actually, it's pretty, de- it's pretty delicious. It's very similar to the Kendall Jackson. It's buttery and just very light chardonnays are known to be dry and sort of oaky but this one is just it's very very buttery all right well let me taste it let me see i could see that enjoying that on like a really nice hot summer day it is a little bit like a little sweet for me because i really like if i do have a a white i like them like dry and citrusy do you like pinot grigios yeah, some Pinots, yeah, I like Pinots. Okay, yeah, yeah. so funny enough, when I was younger, I like I loved Pinot Grigio, especially the St. Margarita, I think it's called, or Margarita Pinot Grigio. But as I got older, my palate changed. Yeah. And now I can't even touch a Pinot Grigio. That's so funny. I know, no, it's pretty crazy. So, well, now that we've done that, now that we've gone <laughs> to the one, now we can fully get to the cheese bit. So you were talking about growing up as a Dominicana in New York City. Let's continue that. (laughs) Yes. So my parents came actually late 60s. And during that time, there weren't, I think there were a lot of people coming in from other countries, but it wasn't, it wasn't today. Today, I think the U.S. is a country of, uh, it's just, there's been a lot of migration Um, So you see a lot of Latinos, you see all the amazing things that Latinos are doing. You see them on TV, you see them as CEOs, you see they're visible. And during the time that I was born, I can't even tell you that I remember seeing any Latinos, maybe Rita Moreno. So it was a very different time. I didn't have anyone to model, so to speak. But I love that my, my parents came here specifically to you know with the ultimate dream to give their kids a better life there i mean i don't know anything else so growing up in manhattan it's um i think it's a blessing because it's just a place that it's you know how they say it's electrifying it's it's always thriving and it's always changing and i have lived in other places as an adult but there's nothing like it. The energy and the sort of fight that you're born with, you're, that never leaves you. Well, there's something about 
child is born in New York, that they become very self-sufficient very early, right? Versus other places. You learn how to navigate the subway. You know, learn, like growing up in San Diego, and I grew up in North County, San Diego, I, we were self-sufficient to a point where we would take buses. We, there wasn't a subway, but there was still, I feel like kids growing up in New York, it's to the next level. Am I correct in saying that? I, I, I mean, I think so. And I, it's really hard for me to say it because I don't want it to seem like, I don't know, let's say, what you grew up like. So I can't say that, you know, your life was less independent or less challenging. But I do know that growing up here, you sort of have to figure things out pretty quick. You have to get yourself to school you know, at a certain age, you have to learn to navigate so many different cultures and different neighborhoods. And so there's so much variety. You have to learn to manage so many different elements. So I think that sort of, it gives you, I want to call it a street smart that I'm not sure I would have gotten somewhere else. Right. So you were so you were actually born in Manhattan then. Do you have other brothers and sisters? I do. I have two sisters and one brother. Awesome. They're all younger. That's so that's like a big family to have in New York. Have to have it four is. kids. It is, absolutely. What would you say growing up? Because obviously your parents came here from the Dominican Republic in order to have to give their kids more opportunity. So what do you feel like their expectations of you, particularly being the oldest child, being a girl and being the oldest child, what were their expectations of you growing up? Uh, well, I do remember my mom and it's ingrained in my head. Um, I come home with my report card and she would expect A's and she would expect perfection. So as I grew up, that wasn't... It sort of, it helped me because it made me have the highest expectations of myself. But at the same time, it was really tough because, you know, I come home with an A minus. She was like, mm, you could do better. Or, I mean, it's so, it's, there are plus and minuses. Right. Um, there was sort of no room for error. I was expected to do well in school. I was expected to be home at a certain time, to do chores. You know, one of my chores was like sit down after, you know, after um, finishing my homework and peeling. I, I don't know if you, you what kind of chores you got, but my mom would sit me down at the table and have me peeling garlic for like a, literally a week's <laughs> No, I didn't peel garlic, garlic, but I peeled a lot of potatoes. There you go. So that's your equivalent. So that was my chore. Um, but I think all that structure has helped me so much in my life because I look for a certain amount of organization and I still to this day have high expectations of myself. The difference is I know I'm going to make mistakes down the road. I have made mistakes down the road. And when I was younger, I was extremely hard on myself. And now that I'm in my 40s, I accept that I am going to make mistakes and I'm going to have some failures. I'm okay with that now. When I was younger, it was like, oh my gosh, no, I can't do that. Like it was just a full on, it was just a panic that I can't even explain because there are high expectations growing up. So you sort of try to 
uphold that. I think when you're an older child, that's something that happens too, because I'm the oldest of three. And I would, even if I wrote my name and if I didn't like the way I wrote it, I would erase it and write it again. But the thing is, I would do that and my mom would come over and she's like, I don't like to see scratches. You can't do, you can't make so many scratches. You know, like when you're writing yeah. with a pen, you can't erase it. Yeah. She was like, no, no rayes mucho. I'm like, I, I want it to be perfect. She's like, yeah, but you have to eliminate some of those scratches. Oh <laughs> my gosh. Yes. Yeah. So it was, but I, I'm really thankful that she raised me that way because now my expectations of myself are pretty, <laughs> they're high, but I know I'm human. Yeah. That's the difference. Well, you're, you know, like we said, you're a writer. Was that something that you knew you always did? Like, I consider myself, I mean, I work in public relations and I do the podcast and everything. So I also consider myself a writer to an extent. Can you, I can remember the very first, the first story that I shared with people when I was in third grade. Can you remember that? Do you have that recall of like, when you just couldn't stop writing and you would get in trouble because my teachers would think I was writing notes, but I was writing a story or I was actually writing notes from the book. I was a nerd. <laughs> so was I. <laughs> Funny. So when I was 14, I used to sing in competitions. When I was 14, I wrote a song. I, it was my first broken heart. I thought I was going to die. Oh, of course. I wrote a, I wrote a song and I entered a singing competition. And my mom took me to the studio. She was like, you know what? This is a catchy song. Let's take you to the studio. And she took her savings. She paid for a studio. And I recorded the song. That is and awesome. Thanks. And it won uh, first place, which was nice. So it's really weird because I didn't feel, I didn't feel like, oh my God, this is amazing. For me, it was more like, Oh my God, I'm telling people that someone broke my heart. Like, I literally poured my heart into this song. I remember the name too, Estoy Confundida. I was like, I was just so in love. And I was like, oh You my wrote God, it in Spanish. <laughs> I wrote it in Spanish. <laughs> so it's like something that has stayed with me. And, and for people, I just quick, quick, quick. Huh? for people who if you don't speak Spanish, Estoy Confundida is. I'm confused. I'm confused. That's like every 14-year-old, right? Yeah. <laughs> so after that, like, one of the things that I did religiously, I wouldn't share my, it's interesting, I wouldn't share my writing. I kept journals. I kept journals for years after that. But, of course, I burned them all when I was, like, 20 why no <laughs> I think I found stuff from then and I'm like oh I was a weird kid oh, <laughs> that's what I look no. back I'm like what <laughs> no. and I it's funny like even until my adulthood I kept one journal but I destroyed it so what kind of things would you write about you don't have to get that, details no that, not that much gossip I literally wrote everything I was feeling which as you know is it's a tricky thing yeah but it, it felt like and I had friends but that felt like the only place I can go to and just completely get lost in my thoughts on paper I feel that when I write for Awakened Woman 
I sort of do the same thing, but I'm very conscious that I'm writing for other people. So there are things that you sort of fine tune. It's a different type of writing. I think when you write journals, it's more free writing. Yeah. You don't need to worry about punctuation and flow. You're just writing just to write, just to get it all out. But I, I can't tell you that I ever even thought about writing a book or writing a blog or writing for a magazine. Like it was just never, it was always for me. So you were talking about like you were 14 the first time you got your heart broken. What was your, like your junior high and high school experience? Were you, would you say you're part of a clique? What kind of friends did you roll with when you're like junior high, high school? How do you feel now about that? I only actually spent one year in junior high. I went from seventh grade straight to the ninth grade. I got skipped. So my high school years, I think, were more key because, you know, I was into that whole cheerleading football team. I was um, a cheerleader, too. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of then, <laughs> <laughs> then around the 11th grade, I was like, mm, you know, the boys start coming in. And it was more, you know, the bad boys and the click changed. And I remember I had a teacher who pulled me to the side. She says, you know what? You need to really reevaluate everything around you. And she sat me down and she sort of reminded me of why I was there and what I was doing. I think teachers play such an amazing role in students' life. And I think if it wasn't for that teacher, I wasn't... And I wasn't at a point where I was going to get derailed, but it was, I definitely had some uh, unusual suspects around. And I'm very thankful that that teacher sort of pulled me to the side. She said, those are not the type of friends you want to have. And I was like, you know what? I did some reevaluating and thankfully I just cut it, just nipped it in the butt. No, that's good because we all need somebody who's going to, be that person for us. How, so how do you think you've gone, you've skipped a grade. So obviously you were, you know, very, not were, I'm sure still are very intelligent. I'm like you were a girl, I don't know about anymore. No. <laughs> but how do you feel? So once you graduated high school, I'm sure you had different options in regards to where you went to college. What was that transition like? It was interesting. So I, I thought I, well, my thought was to go away for college, and I fell in love, (laughs) and then I, you know, my mom kept insisting, she was like, you need to stay in the city, you need to stay in the city, and I was like, you know what, my mom wants me to stay home, I'm in love, so I think I'm just going to stick around the city. (laughs) I don't live with regrets. But sometimes I kind of wonder what it would have been like to make a different decision. So where did you end up going to school? I went to City College of New York. Well, I see your face right now, and I see the face that you're giving, like, uh, but the... the I could have done better! But the thing is, is if you didn't go there, who knows like what your life would be like now, right? In regards to everything else. Could be better, could be worse, but it could be that we're not sitting here together having wine and chisme. That's very true. So, you know. 
Um, <laughs> it's interesting because, like I said, I don't, I've learned not to live with regret. Do I ever think, oh, well, if I would have made this decision, then this wouldn't, wouldn't have happened. And it, it's sort of like a domino. Like, I know that everything, or my mom has actually always told me, everything happens for a reason. Like, if the trajectory would have been different, I might not have the amazing daughter that I have now. Yeah. So I think everything is connected in some way. I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but I do think, or I believe in connecting the dots. I think, think things happen in a certain order, in a certain way, for a reason. No, I totally agree with that. I think I am somebody also who doesn't, I don't live with regret, but regret and wonder are two different things. Yes. So I think, Absolutely. yeah, I think we could sometimes be like, I wonder what if, I wonder what if, but you know, I could, there's definitely things where I'm like, well, I wonder if I did this, what would happen? But I'm like, but what if, but then what if I did that? And I'm, I feel like right now I'm in an amazing place in my life. If that happened, would I not be here anymore? So I totally understand that. So how do you think your upbringing, your upbringing kind of affected that lot, your, your college life going through all of that? How would you say, I'm sure it prepared you in some ways because you're saying how your, you know, how your mom raised you in regards to like wanting the best, being a perfectionist, but then how are the ways that you think maybe it didn't prepare you? I would, I don't want to say the word hinder, but maybe just didn't prepare you the best. I think the one thing that does stand out is I was really hard on myself when I made mistakes. So I think, like you said, it's not that it necessarily hindered me, but it did hurt me because I was, I, and I, I think a lot of people were, would relate, I'm my worst critic. And forgiving myself has been a process, a long process. You know, that... And just everything, the mistakes I've made, the divorce, some of the choices I've made. It's not that I've second-guessed, but I feel like, wow, you know, like, I really messed that up, or I could have done better, or, you know, sometimes I thought, am I not a good person? Do I deserve this? So I think being raised the way I was, it was great in one way, but it hurt me a little bit in, in the sense that... I, I'm my worst critic, but I, I, I've learned to embrace everything, all of me and, but it's taken a long time. But yeah. I mean, I think I totally get the whole thing when you're saying you're your worst critic. I get that. I think a lot of people get that. I think we all tend to be our worst critic and it's how we learn to deal with that and move past that. Right. At what point did you know? Did you grad? Did you end up graduating from New York City College? Uh, I well, actually, I'll be completely honest. I'm about a credit, uh, not a credit, a class short. And there's always time, girl. I went back to school when uh, I was 32, 33, and graduated when I was thirty-seven. So, well, you know, the spe- between the knowledge I got in school and the school of life. I think I'll go back when there is time and the finances are in place. Yeah. And the time. Yeah. It's always the time, right? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. So at what point 
did you figure or did you know, excuse me, at what point did you know that writing is really where you wanted to be? Like between the time that you decided to go to New York, the New York City College and before you got married, was there a time between that where you were doing other things or was writing always your focus? That's a very good question. That had nothing, nothing, nothing to do with my life at all. I started writing after my divorce. Oh my gosh. So what were you doing? <laughs> but like, I want, then I want, I need to hear, we need to hear because I'm just hearing all of this stuff of your writing and writing all of these journals and everything, which we'll get to later. But now you are going to New York city college. You're in love, right? Like, were you deciding to focus at that time? I went, I majored in psychology. <laughs> makes sense. This makes sense. You're a writer. That kind of makes sense. It goes and man, right? <laughs> so, it's, I mean, it, it's funny because I like to observe people. Like, I love people watching. I love watching the interaction. I... I, I don't know. I, there's something curious to me about observing people's patterns because I think everyone has a pattern. Because then you can I write think, about them? Uh, I do, but and I, it's a combination between what I observe and what I live. Yeah. Or what someone, you know, I might have heard of someone else's experience and sort of put a spin on that. But I think it is all connected. Not that I'm saying that the psychology helped in my personal life because I screwed up so many times. <laughs> it, did, it didn't help me at all. I think when it comes to my writing, life experience is what has mostly affected my writing, for sure. It's not the English classes I took. It's not. It's really life experience, to be honest. Um, and I read a lot. I love reading. But no, there was no writing between college and my daughter. No, and my marriage, no. So except for those journals. Except for the journals, <laughs> which eventually come into play, in you know, later. <laughs> so, okay, so you're going to New York City College. I'm putting all this together. You see, I'm building my timeline here. Because I know the real, like, we got to get to this. So you're going Wait, to New York City College. More, more gossip for me than anyone has, that's for sure. Well, I would fail if I didn't. This is the wine and cheese man. <laughs> okay, that's fair. So you're going to City College. You're in love. Did you, how far into that did you actually get married? I assume you're still pretty young when you got married. Okay, so this is interesting. So I was with my first love for about, on and off, for maybe seven years. Okay. Um. But we eventually broke up. So, okay, and this is the guy you were in love that you wanted to stay for. Okay. Two different things. Yes. Okay. So while you were doing that, you were in City College. Where was he? He was in New York. He was in New York. He, his parents owned a restaurant. So he worked with his parents in his parents' restaurant. Okay. So seven years, the relationship dissolves. You're, at this point, doing your thing. Being young. Single in the city. As I was going to say, being young, being single, being fabulous, I'm sure. Just seeing you, I could only imagine. 
Hey, I had fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I live like we, I grew up, you know, 40 minutes from the border. I, we definitely had fun over here. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that cheese mate you're not going to get. <laughs> but, and then your that relationship dissolves, that ends. Yes. At what point, like how long between that, between the next relationship? It was several years. Um, I can honestly say I enjoyed my 20s <laughs> quite a bit. As you should. I had a lot of fun. I think around the age of 27, I did get married. I had a beautiful church wedding. I had been with him for a couple years. I don't think I really understood the commitment of marriage. And that was actually really short-lived. So you have, in that time, you have a daughter. How? No, I actually had my daughter in my during my second marriage. Okay, okay. So the first marriage is a short, is one of those, I have friends, a lot of friends who are just like, you don't realize, doesn't it make you realize like, wait, why are people get married in their 20s? Oh my God. I tell my daughter this all the time. Wait till you're in like your 30s to get married. You want to freeze your eggs, freeze your eggs. But just wait, wait. I, I totally agree. Yes, for sure. I've not ever been married. I don't have any kids. I'm 42. And I can't even imagine being married in my 20s. I was a freaking crazy person. I was a nut <laughs> in my 20s. Well, I think, you know, I think we as women have a lot of, get a lot of pressure. You have to marry by a certain age. You have to have kids by a certain age. If you're not, especially as a Latina, I remember my family would say, you know, tu te va a quedar jamona, which is like, what are you going to be, uh, what do they call them? Oh, gosh. Old maid. An old maid. An old maid. I was like, no, I'm just not there. And it was like, no, but you have to have the kids. I'm like, no, I'm okay. I'm, I'm good. Girl, my, so my family think- used to ask me when I was like, they don't ask me anything anymore. <laughs> But my like my tios and stuff, they used to ask, and my cousins, they used to ask if I was a lesbian because I didn't have kids, and I was. Oh yeah, well, that was the well, that was the other question. I dated, so they never asked. They didn't ask. Um, but oh, it, it's and that's what I mean. Like, there's so many. It's almost like you have to fit into this mold, and you have to do things a certain way. And I did for a while think, you know, I was watching my friends get married and. You know, they were buying houses and cars, you know, the house, the car, the dog, the kid. And so I, I thought that's what I wanted to. But after the first marriage, I was like, this is not, this is not easy. And that eventually dissolved. <laughs> I mean, that's, unfortunately, that's what happens sometimes when you're not prepared, right? Right. So I how long? Harder kid. Yeah. So then you have, you eventually meet again, meet somebody eventually again, fall in love again, you get married again. How was the difference? Like, did you really feel a difference in that shift of perspective from the first versus the second marriage? Uh, Absolutely. When I married the second time, I could honestly say I was head over heels in love. And I truly, in my heart, believe that You know, we used to joke around. We would say, oh, we're going to buy, you know, side-by-side rocking chairs, you know, so we can see our daughter when she goes off to college. Like, that's what we did plan on. 
but things don't always happen the way you plan them, do they? So eventually you have a daughter, right? I won't get too much into all of that because, but eventually you have a daughter. How, when you had your daughter, how did that change your view of the world? Truthfully, it got scarier because one thing is to take care of yourself. Another thing is to have the responsibility to shape, like to mold and to care for another human being. And I, I think I waited so long because to me, it's, it's a huge responsibility. And I had one because I truly believe that I want to mold the best human being possible. Um, does it always happen that way? No. And there were different factors that play into that, but I wanted to give her the best of me. And it was, it was scary because I was like, oh my God, can I, you know, can I do this? I mean, it's, and can I do this in the sense of, can I, I sort of thought, can I be perfect for her? Of course, little did I realize there's no such thing. I'm going to make mistakes. She's going to make mistakes. Um, It was just an, it felt like an overwhelming responsibility because I wanted to make sure she had everything. Over time, I realized that giving them everything is not necessarily the material. Obviously, you need to make sure they have a roof over their head, they have food, they have the necessities, but love and time and attention, I think that's what they mostly need. And I I don't think I really understood that at the time. It was more like, you know, can I give her this? Can I give her that? Just materially, but it's really not about that. Not so much, as long as they have the necessities. When you had your daughter, how did that affect your relationship with your mom? My mom, that's interesting. Um, Honestly, I had less of me to give. And that's on me, not on my mom. Because, you know, sometimes they say, oh, now I understand what my mom went through. Oh, I didn't realize how hard it was. I have one, she had four, you know, and it kind of opens your eyes to the magnitude of what you really have in front of you I do appreciate my mom a lot more because I feel that I didn't truly understand all the things she sacrificed and now I do and you kind of feel like oh my you know you sometimes I feel bad because I could have or I could she's still here I could give more and I know that and I told her I know I'm not you know, I'm not the greatest at giving you everything, you know, everything I can as a daughter, but uh, the best I can do is try. That's the best we can all do. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there are a lot of sacrifices that come with being a mom, for sure. I mean, I can only imagine because I'm not a mom. I'm a dog mom. And even <laughs> That's your mom. Oh my, I know it's not the same, but I can put him in a crate if I need to leave. (laughs) You can't do that with a baby. That's a good point. Very true. So you have a daughter. Obviously, you were saying that you didn't really even start writing outside of a journal. Were you still keeping journals when you were married? Yes. Kind of, sort of. But you didn't really actually start channeling into writing outside so how did that happen you said you didn't really start and and take the path into a writer's path until after your divorce how did you 
kind of divert that path or how did you navigate that path actually a better a better way to say that after you got divorced well one of the things and i speak about it in my book one of the things that happened after the divorce was a i didn't know who i was i was you know i had been with my ex-husband for 10 years so my identity was tied to being a mom and a wife and having my job, my corporate job. But outside of those roles, as a woman, I didn't, I didn't know who I was. I know that sounds weird, but it doesn't so actually, when- <laughs> it doesn't because I know a lot of people who feel the same way outside of being a mom and a wife. They didn't, they don't, they don't, or they're even now finding out who they are. So I, it's almost like getting to know yourself again, who you are as an individual, not as, you know, mother, wife, daughter, as an individual. You sort of get lost in the relationship, in motherhood, and you lose your identity. And I was going through that, and I was going through, honestly, a, a, a depression because I had just lost my marriage, and I had to be the caretaker for my daughter. So there was so many emotions going on and I felt like I needed to get it out somehow. So one of the ways that I did that was I went to therapy for a long time and writing. It was almost like this outpouring of everything I was feeling. And again, that freehand, that just writing everything out without guilt, without shame, it was just for me. So that started the whole process. And I honestly just took my laptop one night when she was, she spends weekends with her dad and I just started writing and I'm not sure. And I always, I I always say this about the book. I truly feel that the book wrote me, not that I wrote the book, but it wrote me. If that makes any sense. I felt that there was a need to write it because I was sure that I was not the only one going through all this, obviously, because they're, what, I don't know if we're still 50%. We might be maybe 48 or 49%, but divorce rate is very high. So I wanted to write something that I felt like one day maybe it could be read and it could help other women. I, I wasn't thinking about necessarily, you know, looking for a publisher or anything like that, but I just felt like, I need to put this out there into the universe and sort of just get it out of my system. So now, so is that where a journey to becoming your best self, that's the, that's what came out from it, right? That's where it started. So you call that part memoir and part prescriptive nonfiction. (laughs) What do you mean by prescriptive nonfiction? Well, it's, I mean, it is, I thought that was really interesting. That's why I was like, I need to ask her about that. Because it is, it is, you know, about my story, but at the same time, it's kind of self-help because I'm literally taking the reader through my journey and giving them tips and sort of helping them change their perspective on any number of things. So it's a little bit self-help and it's a little bit, obviously it's my story. How so hard that's where, it, so that's where it came from. How hard was it not to just write that? 
because you said, like, I know you said that you feel like the book wrote you. It just, it was probably in you and it just, the flow was easy, but how was it when, at what point were you like, I want to share this with the world? Because that's a very personal thing. I know how emotional the journey has been to launching the podcast, writing something about that. And I'm not sharing a ton about me yet. It's really about other people. So I can't imagine like at what was it that you're like, I need to share this with other people. I need to share not only my story because that is really a very vulnerable place that you're putting yourself in. Well, you know, we were talking about, you know, this whole idea. I sort of put out this image that, you know, and my, the closest to me knew it wasn't perfect, but I always sort of put out this image of I am perfect. My life is perfect. It was far from that. And I think that was putting the book out there was sort of my way of saying, hey, you know what? This is me and I'm okay with it and stuff happens. And I feel like if I share my vulnerability with others, others maybe won't feel so ashamed or so, so guilty about sharing their own vulnerability. So were you, was this, is this a self-published book or were you able to get a publisher? I was able to get a publisher. Okay. So I really want to know about this because all of this stuff recently that has happened with American Dirt, the novel American Dirt, these are two totally different things, obviously. But one of the big issues within that, that people were having is the publishing world being, is not a diverse industry. So I'm very interested in how you went about reaching out. And I think it probably helps that you're in New York, right? You're, you're in that world, you're in where a lot of publishers are. But what was that journey in regards to finding a publisher? And did you have to find a book agent? Like, how was that journey in regards to getting your book published? Persistence. <laughs> um, I still don't have an agent. I do, I'm a one woman show. So I do all my marketing. I do all my social media. I do all my writing for the blog. I think the blog is reaching 400 articles in less than two years. Um, I literally do everything. One of the things I learned about this process was I developed a thick skin. You hear a lot of no's. And you just have to, I think if you believe in what you're writing, if you believe that your product is something that is going to help others, I think you just have to keep knocking on doors. And someone said to me a long time ago, all you need is one yes. And literally from, I don't even know. I mean, I got so many no's. Or we're not doing this kind of material at this time. Or we have something like this already. And then one publisher said, you know, send me the the manuscript. And I just kept going because I truly believe it. You just need one yes. You just need one person to say yes. And what's the worst that can happen? You'll get, I don't know, a thousand no's or a million no's. I say but, this, no, I love that because that's how I feel. I'm always, like, if you, the answer is always no if you don't ask the question. Absolutely. And if somebody says no, you're not any worse off than where you already are. Exactly. So I so love I'm, that. So I'm sort of, I guess I got to the point where I was like, I I truly believed in what I was doing. It was almost like a mission. I just felt that it needed to be 
out there. And people ask me, well, how many books have you read? Truth, I mean, how many books have you sold? And the truth, I don't know because I don't ask and it's really not important to me. First of all, I'm sure it's not shocking to you. You probably have an idea. You get literally close to nothing from every book um, unless you sell millions and millions of books. So it's, it was never about the money. It was because I haven't made any, maybe, I don't know, 20 something bucks, but it's about getting the message out there that you, heartbreak doesn't kill you. It hurts you. It pains you. And it literally can, it can change you and transform you. And it doesn't, even if you start out, you know, with the ugly, if you allow it, if you embrace it, I think it can turn you into something even more beautiful. I, I believe that. How do you think, how has your journey evolved versus what you thought it was going to be? As far as just writing, life? Both. It could be both. It, you know, I think a lot of times people find that it interweaves together, right? They thought this is, they were going to be here, here, but really this is kind of how it's evolved. Well, one of the things when I got married, for example, I believed that I was going to have, you know, the husband, the house, the car, the child, which I have, thank God. I thought that's all I wanted. I thought that was it. That was, that was my dream. And now my dream looks different. Now my dream is more, I want to be, I definitely love being in a relationship, but I want to maintain my independence. I want to maintain my identity and I will fight to keep that. And I have to, and we're creatures of habit. So when we're in relationships, we sort of tend to just give it all away. And now I sort of feel like, no, I have to remind myself that these are the things I want. And I can't relinquish those things. I can't relinquish that power because it's part of me. I think my dream looks different because, because I'm in it. Like I'm very aware of what I want. And I think before it was more of a, it was more like a, a mirage really. And now it's, it's something tangible. It's something real. I know that I am my own person and she's pretty cool. So I just want to make sure she sticks around to <laughs> watch, you know, the next phase. I want, I want to be present. I think before I wasn't really present for me, I was present for others. Yeah. So how do you think all of this, all of this change, all of this growth, really, that's really kind of how that's it's what all it been. How, what do you want to see for your daughter's future? You're going to make me cry. You're not going to make me cry. <laughs> um, <laughs> Didn't you know I'm the Latina Oprah? <laughs> Barbara Walters? <laughs> Man, I want her to be everything I was not at her, at her age. She's much more independent. She's strong-willed. She knows who she is. I didn't know who I was at that age. I don't want her to ever believe people when they tell her, you can't do this. You can't be that. I want her to say, you know what? I can. Just watch me. That's who I want her to be. It took me a long time to get there because, you know, people will 
push you down and say, well, you can't do this. You, you know, you look this way, you look this way, or you don't have enough of this or that, whatever it is. I just want her to know that she should shoot for the stars and not let anyone tell her otherwise. She can have everything she wants. Maybe not at the same time, <laughs> but she can get everything she wants. But she has to work really hard for it. And I think she knows that. <laughs> That's really sweet. <laughs> so you have the Awakened Woman's website. Yes. Which we will make sure to include the link in the show notes. There's so many different articles on there. One article oh, that particularly shit. caught my attention. Uh-oh. Was dating within your race. Oh, gosh. So I, the question is, how has that been for you? Because I'm a light-skinned Latina, so I feel like I fit in a lot of different things. I feel like people see me and they think, well, she's not, like, I always, people always assume I'm Latina. People always assume more than anything that I'm Puerto Rican. I get that more than anything. <laughs> think it's the curly hair and the big booty. Maybe. <laughs> and I just found out through 23andMe that I'm 9% North African, so I think that's where I get it to. <laughs> oh, I say we're all this. <laughs> but... How has that, how has the dating navigation been? And how do you feel being, you know, una dominicana and dating within other races? Because you are, you're in, you're, you're considered Afro-Latina. So how do you feel going out into the world as an Afro-Latina and having like, how do you, how do you feel people see you? Or how do you think you've been perceived going out in the dating world? You know, it's really interesting. Like I have I don't really pay much, that much attention to, as far, I mean, as far as anything, just race. Like, I have friends from all, all parts of the world, mm -hmm. and I've dated, my first love was Greek. I, yes, that's, that's where, the, I think that's where you're talking about in the, in that piece, yes. right? They use Greek. Oh, right. And I just um, found that so interesting, because I was like, obviously, when you're in it, you probably kind of really don't even see it, because you're like, ah, this person's just rad. This, I just think this person's an awesome person. But I'm still, I'm still sort of like that. Like my, my daughter's, my ex-husband, he's Dominican. My, um, my boyfriend who I've been with six, over six years now is Armenian. So I just, I like you. You're smart. You're funny. You're amazing. I don't, I just don't focus on that that much. I, I get that there are people that feel that culture is a big thing, and, and I I understand it, but the way I deal with it is, you know, I've dated men from other cultures. I embrace, for example, my, my boyfriend, I embrace his culture. I've read about his culture. He loves bachata, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> Like, we went to a Romeo concert, Romeo Santos concert. We took my daughter. Like, we listened to it at home. He loves it. But the other day, we went to a Cuban restaurant for his birthday. So I think as long as you have that exchange and you're willing to embrace each other, I think it's, I personally think it's awesome because that is how people connect. That is how people learn from each other. That, I wish there was more of that because... Just staying in your own lane, I just don't see how, I don't want a world that everyone looks the same. Yeah. Uh, just personally. 
So, and I think it's key what you said is we have to learn about each other's cultures because people are afraid of what they don't know. Right. Absolutely. If you don't, if you, if you live in the Midwest and you've never met another black person, another Latino, another, you know, like Ar- Armenian, anything like that, then what you hear, anything negative you hear about that particular race or culture, that's what you're going to internalize and start to believe. Absolutely. But if we embrace these cultures more and are willing to learn from each other more, then we would have less division and more unity and being able to have a really constructive not only government, but just society. I totally agree. Um, And who knows? I mean, we're sort of moving towards that. I remember, you know, what, when I was dating, when I was much younger and it was years ago, but you know, during that time, it wasn't, wasn't that I wasn't seen, but it wasn't as common. I think now it's more accepted, but we have to, we have to continue to embrace it. We can't, you know, I've heard people say, well, not currently, but I've heard people say, well, you know, you should stick to your own kind. Why? We're all human beings at the end of the day. Does it really matter, you know, what's your hair type or what's your color of your skin? Like, I just don't. But then again, it's like, well, what is my own kind? Because people see me differently. I'm Dominicana and some people don't see me as Latina. They see me as black. Some people don't see, you know what I mean? You're like, so what's my kind? Exactly. No, I don't. I just, I think good human beings are good human beings. That's, I don't know. It's, I know it sounds simple, but. Well, we're going to get to the last of the more deep questions. And then we have the lighthearted questions and then we're done. (laughs) What do you wish you had known when you started out? Whether it's starting out as an adult, whether it's starting out as a writer, whether it's starting out as a mother, what do you wish you would have known then versus what you know now in your journey? That's, wow. Um, I'll tell you exactly what that is. I wish I would have known my worth. Uh, you gave me tingles right now. You just totally gave me goosebumps because so many people, and I know myself, I'm included in that sometimes too, is needing to know our own worth. So, ooh, girl, you gave me goosebumps. <laughs> Don't what, make me cry. <laughs> what are you curious about right now? I'm curious about, I want to see, uh, this might be a little selfish, but I want to challenge myself and see how far I can go. That's not selfish, girl. That's (laughs) like those, again, know your worth. That's not selfish. (laughs) I, I think I truly believe we're all capable of greatness, but we have to hold on to that belief. I want to see how far I can go. I I just, something deep down tells me I can go really far. I just have to fight for it. Oh, gosh. (laughs) What is something you failed at? Because failure always present, like, always ends up unfolding into opportunity, right? Failure always allows us to learn and grow. So what what do you say that's something that you failed at that has allowed you to learn and grow? I think I have failed at, in the past, knowing what I want. I think once you know what you want, the world is your oyster. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the fun ones. You ready? Like, can you take a breath? Yeah, so I can stop being teary-eyed. Okay. <laughs> what is your favorite word? Love. 
What is a dream that scares you? Getting everything I want. Oh, I love that. What is your favorite go-to order at your hometown restaurant? Oh, man. Um, so when, when I go to New York, I'm going to call you up and I'm going to be like, girl, let's go have dinner. Where are you going to take me? What am I, and what am I going to eat? You're going to have a caprese salad and rigatoni bolognese at my favorite Italian restaurant. Which is? It's called Amata. <laughs> what is that? I don't know. That's, I live close to Little Italy over here. So but why, why are you laughing when you say that? Is that not like... <laughs> Is it when people gonna laugh when they hear it? <laughs> no, because that's my spot. Okay. That's my favorite food. See here, I would tell you, I love this place in Little Italy called Moments, and they have bomb lobster bisque and ravioli. Oh my gosh! Oh wait, what kind of ravioli? Like cheese ravioli or lobster? They ravioli? have different ones, so oh, it depends man. on what they have. Oh, I like that. But they're all good. I have okay. to go visit after all this coronavirus. Yes. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> wine, red or white? Or rose? Oh, come on, girl. Why? Obviously. We know Why? Kendall Jackson, Chardonnay. <laughs> Actually, my absolute favorite would have to be Sancerre. Okay. That's my favorite. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> Thank this you so, so much. much. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing that. How can people reach you? Website, social media, how can people reach you if they want to follow you? So, awakened-woman.com uh, awakened is the blog. And on Instagram is Woman Awakened. Facebook, Awakened Woman. And Twitter they can also find me on all those platforms. Awesome. So we'll make sure to include all of that in the show notes. So people want to, and then uh, when we, when this goes live, we'll make sure to put that uh, tag you on everything as well. But we want to thank you so much, Yvette, for being thank on the wine you. and cheese. It has been such a lovely conversation. I'm so close to getting you to cry. <laughs> I'm teary-eyed, I'm teary-eyed. <laughs> so until next time, mi gente, saludos. I am so appreciative to Yvette for opening up like that and sharing so much of her story with me. Well, with us, right? I, so often we want to only highlight the positive parts of our lives, but when we reflect on all the aspects of our life, the good and the bad, that is where we really grow. I hope you were able to come away from something that touched you like I was. All of Yvette's social handles will be in the show notes as well as a link to her book. If you decide to purchase it, please make sure to post, share, and tag Yvette's social handles and the wine and cheese make because I would love to know if you decided to get the book. Do you have a story that needs to be told or know someone who does? Then please reach out to me via my social media channels. On Instagram, you can reach me at The Wine and Chisme. On Facebook, you can reach me at The Wine and Chisme Podcast because you know that I want to hear your stories. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and positive reviews are appreciated even more. Thank you so much, mi gente. Until next time. Saludos.